low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. So let's just jump in again. appreciate uh, taking the time to, to chat with us about retention and some of the things you're doing within Ring Central to respond to this challenge. And the whole idea of retention in 2022 seems like it's top of mind for a lot of organizations, especially sales organizations. Can you just talk about how important this topic is to you and your position and within the organization? And then we'll talk about some of the things you're doing to respond to that. Well, it's it's huge for us and it's huge for the sales organization because when we lose somebody who's been trained up, that's a very costly thing. Like the numbers, remember the numbers used to be 350,000. They're now cresting about $2 million, right? That's how much potential revenue, how much potential contact and, you know, both both clear revenue and any of the ancillary revenue that could come in that you can lose when somebody turns over. And so it has really become a very prevalent challenge at Ring Central to say, how do we keep our people, our sellers? And, and not just the sellers, but the enablement folks as well, right? Enablement is an area where most companies have now recognized enablement has really helped other companies make it through this. And the ones that don't have it are now crying for people. So my team is getting hounded on a daily basis to join other companies. Like one of my leaders told me today that this company came to her and called her out of the blue last night while she's walking her dog. And it's the CEO of the company. And he said, hey, what's it going to take for me to to get you out of there? This is happening all over the place, right? They're offering bigger packages. They're offering like much bigger packages, like double what somebody was making, like crazy, crazy numbers. They are offering full remote, right? We offer, you can work full-time at the office. We open again on April 4th, or you can be hybrid or you can be fully remote, it's up to you. And so there are some teams clearly that need to be more in the office than others, but for the most part, the sellers and my team, we've given them all the option. We've had a lot of turnover, right? We're trying to reframe it as the great retention as opposed to the great resignation. So that what are we doing as an organization to keep people here? Because it really is, it is so costly. And it's not only costly with the revenue, it's costly on the culture. Because some of these people that have left are very highly respected and have held some of the groups together over the years, have been the ones that have stood up and said, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna be okay. And, and they've gone. And so there's the rumbling in the company what happens now? What happens now? So yeah. I spend a lot of my time trying to handle that kind of conversation as well. Absolutely. And I'd love to follow up on those two points about you know kind of why they're leaving and what you're doing to keep them. But I'm glad you hit on the topic of the, the cost of the bad hire or the cost of losing somebody, because you're you're absolutely spot on in terms of, you know, if you look at the HR costs, you know, people say, oh, it's it's one or one and a half times their salary 
And it's like, but that's just to get started. And especially in a sales role, when you look at the opportunity of that territory being underserved or unserved, and you have to replace, and maybe you even have customer retention or attrition because it's not being served well, or you hire absolutely the wrong fit, and then they're actually a train wreck, right? They're doing more damage. And then you have to start from ground zero and ramp them up, and you have that six to 12 months. And the whole time you're underserving that territory and not selling where you expected that person to hit a one or $2 million quota, right? So the customers aren't going to stop buying. And if you can't deliver and have this consistent support for them across the whole customer journey, not just the buying piece, but the whole customer journey, if that's not consistent and the customer is not considered at the center of that, and we're swapping people out, they're not going to stop buying. They're going to go buy from somebody that can deliver that. And so it, the revenue isn't just the cost of the person and the cost of the training. It's the cost of the re-ramping someone else and the cost of the hiring and the cost of the recruiters. And then, right, all of that comes into play again. So it's the, the overhead for somebody leaving the company is massive can, and, and can be like, as I said, up to $2 million for really high producers. Yeah. And the impact on the culture and the fact that the rest of the sales team then has to pick up the slack and they're, they're probably burned out already. So, you know, one of the things don't go down when somebody leaves. Right. right? <laughs> so they've got managers that are now stuck with the quota and no one to, to help do it. And so their time is taken. And that, I mean, it ripples all the way up to the top. Right. And then they're busy selling and they can't manage and coach, which is really what we want them doing. Well, so you talked about, you know, if, if people are leaving, are there some common themes you're hearing, you know, within the industry, maybe across some of your clients or or internally, you know, why are people making that decision? You talked about, obviously, they get, you know, a huge package or they get that dream offer. But what are some of the other reasons that are causing people even to, you know, answer that phone call or, or respond to that email when, when the recruiter reaches out? It is lack of somebody actually listening to them. So it's not just, I mean, we talk about sellers and we say, oh, the corn operated, they just care about the money. There was a study done a number of years ago and the top 20 reasons why sellers left, money wasn't even in the top of it. What motivated them wasn't even in the top 20. What motivated them was coaching and career progression and career advancement. And if they don't get that because everybody is just focused on what have you done for me lately, then they're going to go to a company that is offering that. Whether that's real or imagined, right? The companies are never more perfect than they're interviewing you, but it still happens. And in the case of the sellers, that's there. On the case of the enablement side, because there is such a vast gap in the number of people that have the experience to do this job, even ones that only have three or four or maybe five years of experience in enablement, are being offered very senior roles, right? VP of this and, you know, uh, senior director of that. And they may not be experienced enough, but they've got some. And so that's part of it, right? We've got, I've got folks that are banging on the doors of my leaders saying, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. How much do you want? How much do you need, right? Your proof yesterday, that's what happened. Now, good thing is she said, yeah, no, I'm gonna stay where I am, right? And but this is what's happening. Yeah. And then, you know, on the seller side, it could be bigger compensation. The other thing that's happening is that with this last two years, 
with people being working remotely, they've got a sense of what real work-life harmony can be. And because of that, people want to maintain that. Now, I will put a caveat on it, is that you find that you're putting in more hours when you're working remotely. However, you also have the ability to control that to an extent and go and do other things that you need to do during that time frame where you, that you couldn't do before, right? I look at me going to the Belmont office, right? Or if I had an office in San Francisco, I'm looking at a two-hour commute each way. I don't want to do that again. Right. Right. It's crazy. Right. I just don't want to do that. So it's it's having that ability. The other thing is that people are leaving, and it's not necessarily Ring Central. I've heard it across a wide variety. Is they're leaving because they don't feel safe. This is the thing that's coming back to me over and over and over again is the sense of safety. I'm safe in my job. My family is safe. I'm safe in my future. And the company itself is safe. And I hear those four coming up a lot now that people want to know that they are safe and safe in my health, right? You're not going to put me in a situation where I could get ill. And so that safety is something that's really, really resonating with me now. And it's something I'm putting a lot of focus on. Sure. Love that it gives you then a blueprint for how do you respond, right? And how can we enable our programs to make sure we're doing those things that are going to speak to that and and help them feel safe. And it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, kind of the career safety, but the the career path and the progression, we interviewed about 100 graduating seniors in the sales certificate program up here in Seattle, one of the universities. And the top reason they said they would select an employer was, was there a clear path and could they see developing in that organization? So to your point, even though they said maybe they go into sales because of money, I mean, that was one of the drivers, but in terms of when it came down to making a decision about where they're going to go, can they see the future? And I think we shouldn't forget that that's what our current employees are saying too. (laughs) Do I see a place for me? And it doesn't mean that everybody needs to be the CEO, but can I see a progression? Does this fit with my work-life balance, my progression, where I see myself going? Yeah, I mean, the last two folks that have left my team both have left because they did not see a career advancement doing what they, what they wanted to do. And they were right. I supported both. And like, you know, you're absolutely right. There is, we thought by this time that we would be able to have you working on programs of this type. Didn't count on a pandemic. No, we are not nowhere near that. And so she was offered a VP at enablement at a company much closer to where she lived. And I encouraged it. I said, you're right, go do, right? You've got the skill, you've learned enough in the two years to be a good, strong enablement lead, go do that. Yeah. And the other one wanted to get into product management and product marketing, and they never had a position. And so he knew that he, you know, he was bumping up against me. I'm not going anywhere. So, right, you know, right. Yeah, but no, and I think he knew that he's his only option was to go elsewhere. Right. Which he did. And, you know, I encourage that, too. Right. W- which I think is also healthy and, and sends a very strong message that you're willing to look at the person 
and and look at their situation. And sometimes you have to set them free and it may be painful, but it's the right thing for that person. And I think I'm sure the organization also appreciates, oh yeah, that's, it's not all or nothing or not all about. Not all or nothing. And I do, you know, I that's something that I believe very strongly in. Like I will put people on and I'm going to put in, you know, virtual stage and encourage them to go and do podcasts and do conferences and do right. These kinds of things because they do really, really good work. Now I've been told I'm absolutely crazy doing that, that it, you know, it puts them out there and people, and I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. It does. But what it also tells them is that they have the opportunity to advance here and they're given an opportunity to do things in very low risk and still be able to advance and try new things. And I encourage it when they are ready and they have the right reasons, which is what I talked about. I absolutely encourage them to fly the coop. Go. You've learned enough. Right. Right. And it's a long life and a relatively small industry and those relationships matter, you know, in the future. So I'm curious, I mean, yesterday was International uh, Women's Day and, and, you know, thinking about women in sales. And I, I know, you know, you provide a lot of leadership and insight in in that area. Can you talk about anything that's different about the women either on your sales enablement team or in sales that you're looking at and doing to, I guess, accommodate their needs and also make sure that we're retaining, you know, the the superstar women uh, in in the organization as well during this great resignation? So one of the big things I'm doing is I'm not treating anybody any differently from anyone else. So I'm not putting special programs together for the women sales enablement people that I'm not giving to all the sales enablement people. That's the first thing. I've been very careful to make sure that the pay is the same and similar, right? So there isn't any kind of a gender gap on the pay side of it. I've got control over that. And it's just giving giving women and men the opportunity to do amazing things. And I've had, there's been some women that have come out of the woodwork that have just done like mind-blowing work, which is amazing, right? And these are the ones I put out front, go, go, right? Be visible, show people what you're doing. Same with a lot of the men, right? There's been some men that have come up. And part of it is just the way you run your team. And the way I run my team is based on my values, which is family, health, and work in that order. And so family is always first, regardless of who you are or your gender or what role you have. If you've got a family issue, go deal with it right? And take as much time as you need to, to deal with it. And we've had all sorts of different, some very, very serious, some that are not quite as serious. doesn't matter to me. I don't need to know. You know, family issue, go deal with it. The health issue. And then the other thing. So we do have, as a corporation, we do have employee resource groups. Like we have one called Sassy Women, right? We're in a SAS organization, Sassy Women. And there's a lot of celebration in there and, and when, you know, good things happen. And then we do a lot of recognition, but we recognize everybody equally again. I do. I make sure that there is there. I work very closely with the leader of our, our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion team. She and I work very closely together to make sure that not only is it just my team internally, but that we promote this throughout the organization. So, for example, we had uh, the CEO we had for a number of years, or COO, very much backed DE and I, and he left. And the company freaked out. Oh my God, what are you going to do? And it was going back to everybody and saying, look, it's all of our responsibility, not his. So nothing has changed. We still need to do it. 
it's giving equal say, equal rights to everybody. When we have an open job position, everybody's got a shot at it, right? I don't, in fact, when I interview, I don't want to see the names on the resumes. Just show me the skill sets. I don't want the names because I want to remove that bias. Because I know I've got bias too, right? Whether it's conscious or unconscious, I know it's there. So take the names off as a minimum. And that helped. No, I, I think that's great. It's it's one, let's make sure the playing field is as level as possible, right? right. To, to compete in and, and that everybody's kind of getting that fair shake. And then to the point of the, the, the personalization, it's interesting in one of the other interviews I did, somebody had commented, you know, say if, if 4 million people are resigning every month, they're resigning for 4 million different reasons, right? So everybody has their own personal reason and so it's, it is difficult to generalize or to try to make sweeping statements about it versus we need to have conversations about what's important to those individuals There's and another them where they are. Of those 4 million that are resigning, in the ones that have given feedback, 78% of them said they would have stayed if they had a career progression opportunity and an opportunity to learn. And, and probably they, a better relationship with their manager. Right? Yeah. Which which we've known known for years. So let's let's talk about you know I know you touched on you're coming back into the office. Obviously there's some transition that's going to go with that. And and I think I've seen you know it's kind of the third the third the third which is it sounds like what you're doing. A third of people would like to be in the office and get away from home. A third would like the flexibility, and a third are set up and now really comfortable and they want to work from home. But what challenges have you found with remote work and and kind of the hybrid environment? And how are you encouraging collaboration and, and addressing that even when people are going to continue to be hybrid or remote in some fashion? So the biggest challenge is that separation of business business and pleasure, right? Or business and personal. Because we're all in, you're in your home, how do you make the distinction about when I'm working and when I'm not? Now, one thing that has happened is that there's a lot more forgiveness than there ever was around situations like this, regardless. It is from a perspective, figuring out what that work-life harmony is and not only recognizing it yourself and setting boundaries, but having those boundaries respected by others. That's been a big challenge, right? Having a place that you can call your own. I'm getting doors put on my office that were never there. But because I know I'm going to be staying remote for the most part, I have to have a place of my own. And so I've been in this room for two years. I've got a nice setup, but I had no doors. And now it's putting doors on. So that's something. The commute time. We're telling people, if you're going to go in, then pick like a Monday, Wednesday, or a Tuesday, Thursday. So you're not doing back-to-back-to-back-to-back commutes because it's gotten crazy again. Traffic's gotten bad. One thing we just did at the company, in fact, is that you initially the thought was if you're going to be there three days a week or more, you could have a desk. But if you weren't, you had to hot desk it. They they've rolled back on that. And they said, you know what? If you come in the day in every week, regardless of where it's one or two days, we're going to find you a desk because people want to have an anchor. And that's the feel about this remote work is that there's no anchor. The other challenge is how to continually have these conversations, these video conversations, they're exhausting. And they're exhausting, not just because of the content that's been covered, but they're exhausting about all the things that you don't think about, all of the trying to read body language, 
trying to make eye contact, trying to do all of that, right? That is really hard to do. And we had to spend a lot of time teaching people how to do that. So how are, how are families going to manage in the remote and hybrid world again as well, right? There are some kids that don't know any other world except having their parents around 24 hours. And if the parents aren't there anymore, how's that going to happen? Even with animals, right? My puppy, right. he's nine months old. He's never been without somebody in the house. What happens with that? All of the separation anxiety, all of the, right, all of these things that you have to consider now that these things are going to happen. And so it's, you know, if there's two of you in the house, hopefully you can trade off, right? You go these days, I'll go these days. But that's not necessarily what's going to happen. That's definitely a, a challenge. Yeah, and again, I think the the flexibility, and it's interesting seeing the evolving, you know, what does the hybrid world even look like? And I think we're all figuring it out, right? And and if anything, I've taken away from these interviews is the the flexibility and and compassion and empathy to to listen and kind of see where people are. And it what we suspect is not going to work is no, this is what it is. You know, this is the mandate. You're going to do this, and we want people you know, back in their seats by 9 a.m. I mean, they can, they can do that, but they're going to have absolutely astronomical turnover. Yeah. Because it's, people now know that they can, A, number one, work from anywhere. And, you know, now there is all the wrinkles on that, which of course people moved from places they were in and they changed states or they, and they didn't tell their businesses. And when tax time came around, the business is like, what do you mean you live in Wyoming? What do you mean you live, right? And because there's different tax laws and all of that. So I think some of that is coming into play with this. We really need you back in the office so we know where you are. Um, And I think some of it has to do with some teams just work better when they're together. And the collaboration across the teams just happens better when they're together. So that's one of the things that our facilities people did is take all of the various groups and they surveyed and said, if you are coming back, what are the other groups you believe that you're going to need to work with? Mm-hmm. And let's see if we can get you aligned either in the same locations in the building, right? They're finally thinking about that or during the same days, right? You still have the right to come in whenever you want, but what's going to be there? We have a, in our offices, there are uh, cafeterias. So they open the cafeteria up again in April. It'll be in full force. And they feed breakfast and lunch. No mm-hmm. charge. So it's starting to pick back up. I'm a little nervous about going back in. Right? I have my own office with a door, but I don't want to just exchange one office with a door with another. And so right. it's, right, the safety factor again comes in. Will I feel safe going into the office? Don't know yet. Yeah, and, and what we don't want is people going into the office, closing their doors or putting their headphones on and then they might as well be working at home. But right, how can exactly. be intentional about the opportunities to collaborate or, okay, so these working sessions are going to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we'll do, you know, the collaborative stuff on those days. And, you know, Friday is a deep work day at home or whatever. But, yeah, how do we break that up to make it? I mean, I think it's it's requiring, causing us to think about it maybe for the first time, right, about how does work get done and what do we need to to, to make those interactions really happen. Right. Right, is to really pay attention to the collaboration. The one thing at most companies I've been at has always been we don't collaborate well enough across groups. 
this has forced us to figure out how to do that. And that's, I think that's one of the big opportunities that came out of the pandemic is teaching people how to collaborate and why collaboration is so important. Right? And you now getting the benefit of being in person, if we can do that, because I think you're right, there is a social connection that happens differently. Yeah. And then you take that, you know, okay, we've, we've primed the pump, but now let's get people together and do work together. Well, there's an immediacy to being together, immediate, an immediacy of results, an immediacy of action, an immediacy of just thought. Because you're in the same room, it, you know, it can fire. It's a lot more difficult to do that in a virtual setting. You can, right? Business has still functioned for two years and we've been virtual. But the times that we have been able to get together, it's been like I brought my team together last July for a day and a half. Ostensibly to do a little bit of, you know, leadership stuff. It was just about bonding. Some of them had never met each other. And so it was getting my leadership team together just in a location away from where they normally were and out of their homes for a day and a half and just enjoy each other's company. And that boost in the middle of a pandemic made all the difference in the world. That's great. That's a great example. You know, you talked about, yeah, it, it's been hard and there are challenges and the balance specifically related to, to kind of the mental health and the stress and the burnout. And, you know, we're all, not all going to be therapists and counselors and shouldn't be, but can you speak to how you're addressing that challenge, you know, either within your team or across the organization, what should we be thinking about in terms of, you know, meeting people where they are listening to that and being at least aware of some of the mental health challenges that have gone along with the last couple of years? So one of the things that we've done, first of all, is to figure out where people are at. And we've done that through a happiness survey. That's what it's called. It's just a happiness survey. It's 10 questions. And, you know, how do you feel today? What's going on in your work? Are you feeling you're getting the attention you deserve? Is everything right? So there's these 10 questions. We ask them once a month just to make sure that we're, you know, checking on and seeing where things, and it's identified some gaps that we've had to fill, right? We realized we weren't communicating, right? There's no such thing as over-communication now. Just keep keep communicating. On the mental health side, as I said, my, my values, family health, and then work is that if somebody is burnt out or somebody needs time off or somebody needs a break, go. I'm not stuck on, I'm sorry, you only have 10 days, you can't do anything. Like, no, if you need to, you know, the teams are so productive that I don't care when they do the work, as long as the work gets done. And if somebody cannot do the work because of a mental health challenge or they're just, they just can't, then I know that my team has been bonded enough to somebody will say, I'll, I'll take that. I'll do it. Not to worry. So we look out for each other and we are always looking out for each other. And so nobody goes unnoticed. And we spend a lot of time on our team, making sure that that is the case, that if there is challenges, there are issues, everybody knows where they can go to get counseling. We have wellness programs at Ring Central. There are employee resource groups that provide a lot of the support and bringing in counselors when events occur and right all of that across the whole thing to make sure that people are listened to. Culture here at Ring Central is really, really important. And that sense of, I know it sounds kind of trite, but that sense of family 
And rather than explaining it that way, what I like to tell people is that everybody at Ring Central is trying to do the right thing and to recognize that and support that. And if there's conflict of any kind, right, it can come from burnout, it can come from stress, come from all of that. Take a step back, take a breath, try to think about why they might be, you know, triggered by this and then go back into the conversation. So we encourage a lot of that as well. We do a lot of mentoring. We do a lot of coaching. I've got an executive leadership coach that works with all of my leaders and their next level down to make sure that they're getting what they need as well. Because we have a tendency when we talk about mental health to think of individuals, but mental health can affect whole teams, whole, you know, whole companies. Somebody in a high level position is having some challenges can affect everybody below them. It's a great point. Yeah, the, the the ripple effect, and and especially if there are already challenges, then the the additional impact of somebody who is maybe not listening or not showing up in the same way, right. and making sure people are aware of those resources. And I love that that that's part of your Ring Central culture, but that you have the resources available. I just had a, a former colleague who posted they got their mental health first first responder certificate. And I thought, what a great idea, you know, great concept of somebody should be just like you have your first aid, first responder or wilderness first aid, you know, that somebody is trained to say, oh, I know who to call if I have an issue. Again, you're not going to be, you don't need to provide that, but you as a leader and manager, I think your goal is to remove roadblocks and pave the way to get the help that they need. And that may be pointing them in the right direction. Or, or and a lot of the help that's needed is hidden too. A lot of things that are going on, you're not going to see because people are remote, right? I don't want to go onto the dark side here, but you know that that kind of stuff is happening and it's how to get everybody get help, right? Some of it is visible. Some of it is not. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Very well said. And I really appreciate all your insights today. And uh, yeah, thanks for the conversation. It's been really enlightening. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>